Hello, language hackers. Welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast with me, Elizabeth Bruckner, and of course, Benny Lewis. In this episode, we speak with Alicia Galpin, one of our past Fluent in Three Months challengers. Some of the things we discuss are what it's like to live as an American in France, what it's like to raise a bilingual child, and the magic of knowing when to toss out those itchy sweaters of language learning. So let's get started. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 84. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, language learners. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Bruckner, and I'm here with my co-host, Benny Lewis, founder of the Fluent in Three Months blog. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Alicia Galpin, one of our Fluent in Three Months challengers. Welcome to the show, Alicia. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure having you here. Can you tell us a little bit about your story? About seven years ago, I decided that I wanted to run away from home. I was working in the construction industry in the United States, and the housing bubble had crashed. Personally and professionally, it was just a time for me to have a big change of scenery. So on a skiing vacation to Chamonix, I convinced my husband that we should stay for a year so our son could be fluent in French. And as I said, that was seven years ago, and I haven't looked back. And how has your personal journey gone? Because if your son had this experience, then of course your own experience would have been separate to that. So did you arrive with fluent French or was it a struggle and how did that look for you? I spoke no French when I arrived beyond café and pain au chocolat perhaps. And I have a background in Romance languages. I speak Spanish. And at one time I spoke Italian very well. I was an au pair in Rome after university. And so I expected French to be fairly easy. I know a lot of people say they're not great at languages, but I would say that I'm I'm pretty good. And French was so hard. I struggled for years and I couldn't really understand why. I was incredibly frustrated and I couldn't say anything beyond the very basics, minimal communication and it was re- it was just really a big challenge and I could speak in a basic way and get my needs met, but I couldn't have a actually connection with anyone because I just didn't speak French well enough to do that. I love speaking with challengers because we get to know each other so so deeply, profoundly during the, the challenges during those three months. It's a really intense process. And in it, I noticed that your first fluent in three months challenge was actually one of your last resorts. Like you had heard about it, you weren't that interested in it. What brought you to Fluent in Three Months and why was it like you didn't think it was going to work for you? I had heard about Benny about eight years ago, and it was a woman who babysat my son mentioned Benny the Irish Polyglot. And so I started reading the blog and I started following it. And it was really interesting, but I never really felt that a community challenge was for me. I'm quite a solitary person. I'm a bit shy. A challenge is diving into the deep end. It really is. What changed my mind was last January, we were in the middle of a pandemic. The ski lifts were closed. Also, my French residency was renewing. And my husband has dual citizenship. So before, I was the wife of an EU citizen, but now I'm not anymore. And I was really worried about the language requirement. I had to speak French to an A2. And maybe on a good day, I could do that. But I signed up for two in-person classes to get that certificate. And both of them were canceled because of COVID. I went to my renewal interview with my friend Agnes, and she spoke to me the whole time. 
but slowly and about topics I was comfortable with so I could prove to the functionaire that I could speak French. And she told me that my next renewal, I have to speak to a B2. And even though that is years in the future, it was panic inducing. It seemed completely unobtainable. And so I thought, why, why not try Fluent in three months? People rave about the results, about what they could do after three months. And yeah, I guess it was sort of a last resort. And honestly, when I signed up and had to do the registration video, I almost backed out because during the video, that whole idea of that was absolutely terrifying to me. And it has gotten better. I will say that it does get better. <laughs> not comfortable, but better. Before the challenge, I'm curious, since like you said, you did have a certain amount of success with your Spanish and French is another Romance language. So what was the big issue? What was holding you back from making progress in French where you would have made progress in Spanish? I think the big difference is that I was really diligently studying French. I spent a lot of time studying French, but studying French and speaking French are not exactly the same thing. I had to use Spanish for work. And when I lived in Rome, I know it's Rome, but a lot of people didn't speak English at that time. So I had to learn to speak Italian. Chamonix is absolutely the worst place in France to learn to speak French, I think. Everybody speaks English here because there are so many tourists from around the world. And as an example, I have a Swedish friend and a Norwegian friend. Well, they speak English together because that's the common language. And I know people who have lived here for 15 years and they don't speak any French. I think it was a combination of me thinking that one day if I studied enough, I would magically be comfortable enough to speak, which that day never comes. And the I guess the ease that English was all around me, even with my French friends. It wasn't that I was just hanging out in an expat community, because I know, Benny, you talk about that when you lived in Valencia, you were with a whole bunch of English speakers. I just heard English all the time. And I really did not want to be that American who, oh, she's lived here all these years and she can't even speak French. I was really conscious of that. My husband and I have traveled to Paris many, many times before I spoke French and we were able to have every single trip completely in English, completely. We had dinners with French friends, completely in English. We would go to the stores, completely in English. And there was, you don't even realize the barrier that exists when you're speaking your native language in the country. I remember the first year that I came back to visit and I spoke 20 words. It was just after I started reading Benny's blog. And it was like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, where you walk through that door and everything's in color, you know, and suddenly like, you know, the lollipop guys are singing and you know, it was just, it was absolutely amazing. And I, I wanted everyone to have a taste of that because I had not had it for the first 40 something years of my life where I tried. I am not shy, but I'm very introverted. So I would love to know what it was like to jump into a community, be slightly shy, slightly introverted, and then have coaches like us that come up all happy, shiny, big smiley faces saying, introduce yourself, tell us your problems. Don't worry, it's safe. Was there a moment when you felt like, oh, the coaches are telling me this and it's actually true. This is a safe place. We are all in this together. Was there a moment when that opened up for you? Absolutely. I had to mail something at a UPS drop point and I had to go to the village, which is about 40 minutes from me to a tobacco, which is a little shop that historically sold tobaccos and cigarettes and stamps and that kind of thing. Now it sells a little bit of everything, but it's also a UPS drop point. So I had my package, which was important and time sensitive. And I waited in line for maybe 30 minutes and the woman at the counter refused to take it. And she kept telling me I needed three of something. And I didn't understand her. And then everybody who was in the queue behind me started trying to explain, trying to be helpful, but also get me out of the way so it could be their turn. <laughs> 
And I walked out with that package almost on the verge of tears. I drove home and I decided to write about it in Slack on the community. And it completely turned that experience around for me because people were so wonderful. They were so empathetic. They told me some of their embarrassing, frustrating language stories. And by the end, I was actually laughing. Contrast that with when I would tell my non-language friends the story, they would say things like, well, you have lived there for five years. I mean, it's UPS. How hard can it be? But that day, I really learned the importance of leaning into the Fluent in Three Months community, which is definitely the secret sauce, in my opinion. For a shy introvert, that was equally surprising and wonderful. Obviously, your experience with French has completely transformed. I'm wondering if you had to pin it down to a couple of bullet points. What do you think was the source of that transformation? Like, obviously, the challenge was a big part of your story. But in terms of what you were actually doing that was different on your day-to-day experience, what has changed? I really feel that Fluent in Three Months gave me permission to interact with my community in France. For instance, my wonderful neighbor, Cécile, she doesn't speak English, so it's perfect. I have to speak French and we go for a walk once a week or we have tea. And because of that, she's introduced me to a whole bunch of really local people here who I didn't know before. Equally, because I've gotten to know her better, I knock on her door. Uh, We exchange texts. I talk to her a lot more. Another example is a woman who was an acquaintance and has now become a friend. Celine owns the Hotel Montaigne in town, and we ran into each other. And she said, you know, with COVID, I, the hotel's been closed. I haven't been speaking any English. I think I'm forgetting. And I told her I was doing this challenge. And so we started a language exchange. And after you talk to somebody for a couple hours once a week, you become really good friends. It's like pulling a thread on a sweater. Between these two women, I have, I have met so many other people. The other thing I think is a huge difference is, as I said, my French friends would always speak English with me. And when I told them about this challenge, or I'd have them correct my script or help me with a video, they would speak uh, French with me. And they were so patient putting up with my improving French rather than using their already excellent English. Wow. I love these stories. They're beautiful. Let's talk a little bit about language exchanges, because some folks that are watching may think that the only way to speak, to practice speaking is to get a tutor, which it's a fantastic way because it's very concentrated. And I know Benny uses that a lot in his missions. But I found that the language exchange is great if you're strapped for cash, but you have a little more time. So if you're a student, and you don't have a lot of cash, but you have lots of time, or if you have friendships that you want to develop, as you're saying, there's something a little deeper about language exchange. And I wouldn't say only do language exchange. I I think that having a tutor is really important because it's important to have some structure. But this idea of language exchange and going deeper, finding out how someone's grandkids are every single time and being connected to them. Would you say that you felt the same way when it came to tutors and language exchange partners. And Benny, this question is for you as well. What do you think the pros and cons of are of language exchange partners? And what are the pros and cons of tutors? I think the language exchange is obviously more casual by definition. When I'm using an italki instructor, and I do, and I think it's wonderful, it's definitely more structured, but there are probably certain questions I would not ask. Whereas when you strike up a friendship with someone, you can ask those semi-embarrassing, mysterious questions. <laughs> Particularly, you read something in the newspaper or also about local things that are happening. But yeah, I think you can create that space and you'd be surprised at the questions people ask. As an American, you kind of think, well, our culture is so 
pervasive for, for good or bad. You think everybody understands American culture, but actually they don't. Any more than somebody who's just watching French movies understands French culture. It, it is different. So yeah, it's nice to have, be able to ask those embarrassing and awkward questions and, and to answer them for somebody else because that builds trust, doesn't it? Yeah, and I, I'd agree with there, there's definitely pros and cons with the language exchange model. I think especially once you're getting started, it can take a lot of the pressure off that you feel like you're contributing, you're helping this other person while they are also helping you. And on top of that, because you know you can fall back on English, there's always that opportunity when you are speaking your target language, you can say, oh, how would I say this this word? And you can give them the word in English. And then, of course, the financial aspect of it, because like I do work up ahead of my missions, making sure I have uh, money saved up that I'm able to invest that in multiple paid tutors. I'll also be social and that part of it is is free if I'm trying to make friends in the language. But of course, a tutor is intensively pushing me forward. So that's the other advantage of a language exchange is you don't have to worry about having money saved up. The big disadvantage is that it removes this necessity and pressure that the language exists in your mind that I I need to use this language to communicate with this person. If I'm personally switching back to English, then in my subconscious, I can, as I'm talking to this person, I'm always thinking, but I don't really need to use the language with them because I can switch back to English at any time. And I feel like that is one of the biggest issues I've, I've had when I was learning languages as a teenager is that language never truly existed in my mind as an actual means of communication. It was just an academic thing. And so that's kind of the disadvantage. I am very lucky that I can put money aside for tutors. This doesn't necessarily need to be that much money, depending on some languages. Like for people who are learning French, I always tell them if they find that tutors in France are a bit out of their price range, you can actually find a lot of really good tutors who will speak uh, standard Parisian French who are from the north of Africa or they're from Senegal or something like that. And because they're in such a cheap country, you can actually uh, get very affordable lessons with them and they're earning a good wage where they are. So there are ways around it. But of course, tutors, um, you can't be with tutors forever. Eventually, you have to be living through the language. And I really like that uh, you you are doing things in the local language. So something you were saying that I really like is that um, this realization you've made that you were studying French for a long time. And like you said, it's very parallel to the issue I had with Spanish. So for people who are listening, who are maybe going through the same process, that they have been studying their target language for potentially years and are held back with a certain amount of perfectionism that is convincing them that if only I, if I just study a little bit more, if I just learn a few more conjugations or a few more obscure words that could potentially come up once every 10 years, then I'll be ready to to finally speak this language. Um, And that's very tempting to stick with this because it is hard. It is a a transition. You will feel like an idiot. And like you said, you will have embarrassing experiences that at least when you reframe them, you can look back on them that they're really not that bad. But like, what would you say to somebody who right now has a mindset of, I am in a perfectionist world. I need to spend the next year learning uh, grammar and vocabulary before I ever dare to use the language. Um, because that's that's a place that you are coming from. What would you say to somebody like that? 
Uh, a friend of mine is a reading uh, specialist teacher, and she told me that up until age eight, children learn to read. After eight, you are reading to learn. And this is something that's really stuck with me because an eight-year-old doesn't speak their native language perfectly. They don't read perfectly, but yet they manage to turn that corner. And that was my big stumbling block. I had to turn that corner from learning French to actually using French to learn other things that I wanted to do. And if an eight-year-old can do it, so can we all. Wow. I love that. I didn't even think about that. Um, I remember one of my aha moments was when I found Link and was able to start reading French. And I was such an insecure language learner. You know, I I trusted what Benny was saying in the blog because he seemed like he had no reason to lie to me. He wasn't selling anything in the blog. It was just, this is what I do. You can do it for free. Here's how you do it. But I remember thinking at any moment, the rug is going to get pulled out from under me. At any moment, I didn't have the challenge. So I didn't have a community. I just had the blog and my tutor and that was it. And my, my long suffering husband that had to listen to me talk about French vowels every morning at breakfast. So this idea of learning to read and then reading to learn was something that uh, was one of my, it was one of my hidden superpowers. I loved reading. I built a vocabulary. And just like you said, Benny, there was a word that I won't be using, but once every 10 years, but it, I had, I now knew the word and I wasn't like studying it. I wasn't, there were no flashcards. I was just absorbing it. So every now and then I'd pop it out and my teacher would practically fall off their chair because they're like, where did you get that word? It was just because I was doing something that I loved in the language. Now, Alicia, as a profession, you're a writer. And so I do want to go back to this idea of perfectionism because writers have a lot of time to mull things over. In a conversation at a post office with 10 people behind you that are all being nice, but are all speaking French louder at you at the same time, it's a lot different than creating an article or a, an essay. How did you start shifting from, I'm going to speak this language, it's I'm going to start um, branching out, I've got this community with me. What were the moments when you started making those decisions? Because the, the going to the post office, that actually wasn't a decision, that was something you had to do. But were there sometimes, I think you had mentioned in the challenge, one time you went to a bakery and you you had needed help with your son's um, your son's homework and they weren't busy. So you asked them for help. Can you tell me about that moment in time when the writer in you who, who would have typically gone home and written a script about it and then practiced it three times and then gone to the, the bakery instead, you had developed a bit of a relationship with them and decided to just impromptu ask a question. Can you tell me that moment you're sitting at the table, you've got the homework out. What made you decide, I'm going to try this today? My son was about five then. Uh, and so the homework wasn't really difficult. It was a fill in the blank. And I had translated all of it diligently as I always did. And I still couldn't figure out which, which word went into which blank. And that's pretty embarrassing when you can't do five-year-old homework. <laughs> anyway, we were at the boulangerie and uh, the bakery and there was a lull and I just decided to ask, can you help me with this? And which was embarrassing for me. And it did take a little bit of stealing my nerves. And I don't know why in hindsight, because honestly, they were so delighted to help me. It was something that they did in two minutes. They taught me these new words, 
but it really marked a change in the perception they had of me. And I could feel that change that, of course, they speak English. They're used to dealing with all these tourists, but they looked at me instead of, well, she's that woman who just expects everybody to speak English. It became, well, okay, she's struggling (laughs) and she doesn't speak French well, but she's really honestly trying. And now they always speak French with me and it's really nice. I think it also, you know, I live in a small town, so it it kind of, the word kind of got around. So other businesses, you know, other restaurants and at the pharmacy, you know, even though they all speak English, they will now speak French with me. And that was really helpful that uh, I guess the rumor mill in that case was a really big benefit to me. How is your relationship with your son, uh, like trying to raise a, a bilingual child? And like you said, things like a five-year-old's homework may be out of reach for you when you try to help initially. Like, What has that experience been like and how do you uh, help your son make sure that uh, he's growing up bilingually? I think I was living in fantasy land because I thought truly uh, we were just going to drop him off at the first day of kindergarten and it was all going to be fine. In two or three months, he'd speak French fluently And we had exposed him to both French and Spanish from the time he was born. I would read him storybooks in Spanish. My husband would read to him in French. We played nursery rhymes. We played songs. Uh, We also um, have a wonderful babysitter, um, Maxlin. Her family is from Haiti. And she would only speak to him in French. And uh, it's been wonderful. She's still definitely a part of our lives. Anyway, uh, yeah, I dropped him off thinking this is all going to be great. And I cannot stress enough that that's absolutely not what happened. It was so hard. Uh, He understood things. He knew his colors and he knew his numbers. And when the teacher would ask him to do something, he basically got that. But he's a pretty chatty kid and he did not speak at school for almost three months. It it was such a challenge and it was such a struggle and he didn't want to go. He hated school. Uh, The homework was hard. Uh, his teacher, uh, Natalie, who was absolutely wonderful, she didn't speak any English, so I would have to say things. And sometimes I would mix up my words and I'd throw some Spanish word in the middle of a sentence and she would just look at me and shake her head. No. <laughs> so I definitely have uh, a tutor for my son to help him with the French grammar, because while I correct his grammar in English, he corrects my grammar in French. Yeah, it's been very challenging. I also have tutors on italki for him. There are italki tutors who specialize in kids and specialize just in grammar. And that has been a big relief for me, that it wasn't all on me to help him. Because you want to help your kids, You you particularly when they're little, you want to be able to do these things. And when you can't, it's humbling. And it's given me a lot of empathy for my friends in the United States who were immigrants. And I would believe that people in France are much nicer to me than, say, um, some of my friends who didn't speak English perfectly. I I think the French maybe get a bad rap on that because most people here have been so kind to me. And I hope that was the case for my friends in America, but I I kind of doubt it, sadly. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I agree with the bad rap and the idea that you're going to be shot down when you're in Paris. I, I've never felt that ever. I did have a, a cheese incident once in Bun. <laughs> we, we had five euros left and it was Sunday. All the banks were closed. And um, 
like there was a farmer's market and I was like, I'd like just a, un petit peu, just a little bit of cheese. And this cheese lady made this big hunk of cheese. And I'm like, I, uh, and she started, I'm like, I don't want that much. And she started yelling at me in French. I didn't speak French at the time. And my husband and I were like, okay, we gave her our last five euros. And we're like, I guess we're eating cheese tonight for dinner. And so 10 years later, my husband's at a, a business meeting. He's like, yeah, I visited Bonn. And he's like, yeah, there's this, the other guy that he was talking to. He's like, there's this beautiful farmer's market, but there's this angry cheese lady. And we were like, that's, we got bullied by her too. So she is infamous. She's international infamous cheese bully, but it happens. And you can decide that that's going to be your one memory of visiting another country and not doing well with the language. I could make that all I talk about. Or I could say that the 99% of the other experiences were absolutely exceptional, wonderful, heartfelt. Like the, the maid at the um, hotel, she and I were talking about her children and she came from the Berber Mountains and she ended up bringing me honey the last day that, she, that her family had harvested. I mean, these are, these are stories you can't make up simply because I spoke to her in broken French and we connected. So that reminds me of... Um, a message that Katie, our podcast editor, wanted to say to, to you. You and Katie did a challenge together. We have a lot of Fluent in Three Months team members that, that do the challenge as well. She says hello. And she also wanted you to talk about the wine class that you took in French. What was, what was that about? Well, one of the things that is recommended in Fluent in Three Months is to take a class in your target language. And again, that is turning that corner, making that transition between learning a language and using the language to learn what you want. So I took a class through the University of California at Davis uh, online, because one of the good things, if there is a good thing about COVID, is that there is just so much content available online now. So I took um, sensory wine appreciation. And I did take that in English, but it had the option of having French subtitles. So I would read the subtitles as I would watch the video, and I learned a lot of vocabulary that way. So I could develop my French wine island. Well, then I found this online champagne class, and it's through the Comité de Champagne. And it's available in English and French and Japanese and several other languages. But I promised myself I would only take it when I could do it in French. And I did. And it was absolutely fantastic. As I know during one of your office hours, Elizabeth, you told me I should find something that I can listen to over and over again and not get too bored. Well, the videos in the champagne um, mock are three to five minutes. And so I would listen to Jeremy Kuckerman, Master of Wine, over and over and over and over again, sometimes at three-quarter speed, until I understood pretty much what was going on in that in the video. And I love wine. It's been a fantastic thing to deepen my appreciation, but I've also learned so much about French history and culture. And for example, there are these giant caves under most of the grand, you know, champagne houses that have been there for hundreds of years. Well, during uh, World War II, they actually hid people down there. And under one house, they had a, a church, like a church. And under the, another one, they had a school and they had a hospital. People lived down there for two years. Uh, just that stuns me. And that is a story that I learned just by taking the champagne class, which has been an amazing experience. 
right now I'm taking another class through the University of California, Davis, it's intro to wine and winemaking. And I decided to do it in English because during the champagne course, I would look up words I didn't understand, and they would be the same word in English. And I thought, you know, I'm a writer, I have a fairly big vocabulary, and there were all these words I did not know. Brazen. <laughs> Declivity. Uh, so I really wanted to expand my base and understand uh, wine. And a lot of it, you know, some of the chemistry is a little bit foggy. College chemistry was a long time ago for me. So I'm hoping that once I really understand uh, the process of wine, I can take even more classes in French or in, in Spanish. But honestly, wine has been this gateway to connect for me. In addition to learning about the economy and the cultural insights and the history of France, I've had to go into a wine shop and have a conversation in French to satisfy the assignment because I had to go buy a bottle of the specific wine. And the first time that was absolutely terrifying. But again, people are so nice, particularly if you have a higher purpose. Like I'm not just looking for a from wine for tonight. No, I'm taking this class because I'm trying to improve my French and I really do want to understand more about France and can you help me? And every week I would go back and I'd talk to the same shop. So you develop a relationship with them and they speak English. They speak English with other people <laughs> and it's just been so great. But in addition to my appreciation of, of French wine, I think as an introvert, you know, I definitely don't connect with every single person I meet, but when I make that connection, it's it can be really magical. And my husband and I were in Athens and we went upstairs in our hotel to the rooftop bar. And I asked the waiter, like, I want to try um, a local white wine with Assyrtico grapes. And I want to try this local red wine. And he just absolutely lit up. And that conversation was in English because I do not speak Greek. But he started telling me this wine comes from this region and the weather is like this and the food here is like this. And he ended up giving us samples of like five different wines that we got to try. And we made that connection with him. And it was one of the best memories I have of that trip. And I had a similar experience in Milan. Again, my husband and I went down to have a drink and I asked for a Francia Corta. And that is a local uh, sparkling wine that they make in uh, the Lombardy region. And everybody knows about Prosecco, that's very famous, but not very many people outside of Italy knows about Franciacorta, which is made in a similar method to Champagne. And we ended up striking up a conversation with the bartender who was from the Philippines, spoke five languages, and told us all these little tidbits about Italy and where we were and recommended a restaurant around the corner and even called ahead said we were coming. And so I feel that you really have to find that spark in your language, whatever it is. And particularly for somebody who's shy, you know, I also love art and I love literature. And I can have great conversations about that, but it's not the same gateway as something daily like food or wine. So I've, I've been really thrilled that I've gotten to do that. And so much so that I'm going to give all the people listening a homework assignment. <laughs> I want everybody to learn how to do something. So Find a video in a different language and learn how to make a balloon animal or do a magic trick. Find a video that's three to five minutes and watch it over and over again until you A, understand it and B, can do that thing. So you can make the origami crane or you've learned to change a tire or clean a fish or whatever it is. Uh, it would be interesting to hear 
what the two of you would say is the most interesting thing you have learned about or learned how to do in a language other than English. So that's my question for you. That tip, that assignment, I really think that's a great idea. And it's something that I do regularly myself. Like when uh, one of my passions is uh, video editing and doing like special effects videos and such. And very, very often as uh, a problem I run into, similar to problems that programmers run into, is that you don't know how to solve a particular problem. So you just Google it. And I will look for the solution of that problem in whatever language I happen to actively be using, uh, whether that's Spanish or French. And there's always YouTube tutorials uh, to help solve these technical problems. And that's something I've regularly learned. And, uh, you know, I found some interesting new people to follow online who talk about tech and tech happens to be one of my passions. And just Googling things or looking it up on YouTube the problems you need to solve uh, can be a huge new window into all of this amazing content that you're genuinely going to be interested in. So I definitely, I think that's great. And you're really, um, uh, you're really showing us that you're, you're living this mantra. Like you said, that the uh, philosophy of, you know, you learn to read and then you later on read to learn. So you're truly using your language rather than just learning French for the sake of, of knowing French, you're actually using French to expand your knowledge on so many things. And I'm curious, what what other plans do you have uh, with your French? What is your uh, your next year or two year or two future going to be as you continue to improve your French? I would really love to do uh, a polyglot challenge next, and I would like to do that with Spanish and with French because I would really like to know all the, the tricks and tips of how do you get those two or more languages to coexist in your head. And for example, another question I'll have for both of you is if I start in Spanish, I'm okay going into French, but the reverse is totally not true. If I am in French, it's so hard for me to go to Spanish. Not only do I forget the words, but also the pronunciation. I start having this really weird French pronunciation, particularly with the R's. And I was wondering if is that the case for the two of you? Do you find it difficult to transition one way or the other? Or is it just me? <laughs> I'm going to steal one of Benny's answers because he has so many. I can take one of his. I'll have another one when I when I'm done. But um, these are great questions. And as for the assignment, I love it. I want to add to that challenge that send us your videos of you doing these things, and we'll put together a compilation video and we'll put it on YouTube. The Alicia Challenge. That's what we'll call it. The Alicia Challenge. Okay, so you haven't answered the Alicia Challenge, so you get your turn to answer. What is the most interesting thing you've learned to do? Yeah, I um. I look for things that I'm passionate about like you. And because I treat patients, um, mostly, most of my patients, my specialty is anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, those sort of things with holistic medicine and acupuncture. I love to ask people about the psychological cultural differences in each country. So I'll watch a video on even something as simple as gestures, which might then give me a tidbit about how the the language in the brain works in that particular language in terms of what you what you do when you're angry, what kind of gestures you make when you're angry. And then I take that and I take those videos that I watch and then discuss them with my language exchange partners. Like, is it true, you know, that Germans count like this, is the thumb is number one? Like, why is that? Why does that happen? And we talk about it. Um, 
the second question, which was the polyglot question, that's another really good one. I I was doing, I, I've watched a lot of video, videos of Benny. So if you are interested in a lot of the things that I say, if you just go to our channel, you'll see like hour long question and answers that Benny has done. I recommend watching all of them when you're a beginner. I don't recommend watching all of them, like binge watching them when you're an intermediate or when you're beginning your challenge. You should be watching more stuff in the target language, but it's a nice segue if you're getting yourself revved up for it, because now I have all of this information that polyglots do. And when I hit a stumbling block, I know. So I knew from Benny saying that he needs to transition between, you know, from French to Spanish to, you know, if when he's talking, he gives himself a moment or two. And then he started practicing that change. So I've done videos where I will specifically speak in French for five minutes. And then it's, and then at five minute mark, I will start speaking in Spanish. And I'm just, as Benny has said before, I just am really okay with stinking a bit, you know, like even now when I first started learning Spanish, I had a French accent, which I found hilarious. Like when I spoke Spanish, I spoke it with a French accent and my friends would be like, oh, you're so exotic. And I'm like, I'm not exotic. I'm from back East. That's it. That's like, I'm just from, just a Jersey girl. But um, I allowed a levity to this idea of I'm going to sound different. I'm going to make mistakes because I now speak two additional languages. That's mind blowing to someone who never did. And once I soften that, that clasp of I've got to do it well, I can't make mistakes. I don't want to, once I soften that, I'm, I almost use it as bragging rights. If I'm in a Spanish lesson and I say something in French, I will gently say, oh my gosh, I'm using French again. That's so funny. I'm just, my brain wants to think in French, but I'm also telling myself like, good on you. You speak French too. Like, yeah, you speak pretty bumpy Spanish this morning, but typically you're doing all right. So for me, it's a, it's a psychological shift where I'm allowing myself to see how absolutely amazing it is that I speak two additional languages. What about you, Benny? Yeah. I mean, like you've, like you've said, something I've mentioned a lot is just the practice of that transition. I got that initially in several years of going to a lot of international events, um, and they actually still happen. I actually, in my recent trip to Mexico, I was surprised that couch surfing still has active events going on. And Internations also has events that you go to and there's uh, people from all around the world. And that has given me the chance, the opportunity to switch. And there definitely is a little bit of bleeding over if I'm a little rusty. So since I've mostly been using Spanish uh, in recent months, um, I had a conversation with uh, a French person at an event while I was in Mexico City. And initially, there was a, a couple of creeping in words of Spanish into my French, even though my French is very good. It's just from the lack of practice for several months that my Spanish was just overflowing into my other languages. So that's just a simple case of, you know, if I get back into practicing French regularly, like I'm going to be doing these next months then that's less likely to happen. So um, it definitely would happen more from one language to another. Like if I spoke uh, with that person in French for 20 minutes and then turned right back to somebody who would speak to me in Spanish, I would not have a very Frenchified Spanish because I was speaking Spanish so much over the last uh, month or so. So um, I definitely would would feel that way. And my 
peak performance as a polyglot of having the least amount of interference has been from when I'm practicing those languages as consistently as possible. So uh, that would be my tip for for all of this. And uh, Alicia, out of all of these experiences you've had, I'd be very curious if um, you had in mind a way of summarizing what you the understanding of the term language hacking is. Because as as you may have seen, we do like to ask people, since this is the Language Hacking Podcast, what their definition of language hacking is. So what would yours be? I grew up in Minnesota, and there's a saying that it's all about the layers. And I think that's absolutely true for language learning, too. And you have to find the layers that work for you. But seasons change. So the layers you might wear in January are not going to be the same that you're going to wear in June. Equally, one day you can walk outside in a t-shirt and the next day you're going to need a rain jacket. Also, I'm always freezing, so I probably have more layers on than the person next to me. And that's okay. I think that you have to find what works for you. And I know, Elizabeth, you don't like flashcards, so that is not your layer, no matter how great everyone else says it is. Uh, I think there are certain layers that are pretty consistent, like maybe, you know, italki, but I think habit stacking is really good in that too, because that's actually just layering things. And just as I don't go for a hike without hiking boots, I never go for a walk without a podcast. And I rarely make dinner without listening to Spanish Pod 101, for example. I like the Iberian series with Megan and David. Uh, or if you're in the car, I am listening to something, whether it's the radio or uh, here because it's French and trying to listen to the news or popping in something that, you know, Michelle, Michelle Thomas or Pimsler or something of that nature. And I think lastly, no matter how much money you spent on that really itchy sweater that you never wear and that you keep shoving to the back of your closet, the same thing is true about language tools. And no matter what your investment, whether that's money or time, into a particular tool, if it's not serving you anymore, get rid of it and find something that really works for you. Uh, try to find that combination of layers that works for you on a daily basis, but also on a seasonal basis. Very good. I like that. So this has been a very interesting interview. Loads of takeaways. I hope people have taken some inspiration from it. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast to chat with us today, Alicia. And um, I look forward to seeing how your progress goes and when you do take on that polyglot mission. Thank you very much. It's been great talking to you. It's been so much fun. And uh, Language Hacking is definitely a favorite podcast. And it was really an honor to be invited on. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And we will wish everyone listening a very happy language learning. Until the next time. And that's a wrap. What a fascinating interview with Alicia. At the end of the podcast, we like to discuss a few takeaways that we've gathered. Benny, what was your highlight during this interview? Uh, there are quite a few, and I would say uh, probably I have two big ones. One is I like what uh, she said about the children learn to read and then they read to learn. And I think so many of us are so obsessed with learning how to uh, learning a language. So in her case, learning French. But the true uh, richness comes when you're able to use that language to learn other things. So like she's using it to take uh, courses in Champagne 
And, you know, I've used my languages um, to make new friends and to, uh, to have interesting conversations. And more recently in Mexico to explore deep into the, the cultural history of a lot of uh, the country. So when the language becomes a tool for you to learn all these other things, that transforms everything. So we do, we have to take a step back from learning the language in a truly academic sense. And she really emphasized that. And then the other thing that she said that um, really echoed my experience when I was first getting into languages is this sense of a higher purpose. And there can be uh, a feeling when you're in a country, especially where a lot of people speak English, where they'll switch to you, switch back to using English with you. and Long before uh, the challenge existed, my form of doing that was simply telling them I have I have given myself this challenge personally, and I might have even like a few years into it mentioned I have a blog and I'm telling the world that I'm trying to learn this language. I have this accountability, but even just telling them I genuinely really want to learn this language. I only have a few months in this place, and that gave it context. And that completely transformed their experience in terms of, oh, wow, this guy really cares. I'm going to I'm going to help him to, to learn the language. And in her case, when she would tell people about the challenge and she'd say, I'm doing this thing called the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, then that transforms people exper- people's experiences. So it's really important to remember this, that yes, people may switch back to English with you, but that may not necessarily be because your level isn't good enough. It may be because they just don't understand how much you care and they may be feeling like they're doing you a favor. Like, uh, you know, maybe because you're struggling, maybe they think I'll ease this person of their pressure. They, they'll feel less stressed out if we just speak in English, but when they see your true reason that changes everything. So those are my two biggest takeaways from this. What about yours? To piggyback on what you just said, Benny, I, um, I love this idea of telling people who you are and what you're doing. So for me, one of my first sentences always is, hi, my name is, I've been learning blank for two weeks, three months, two years. And it it immediately sets the stage for, I'm a language learner. This is what I like to do. And then people are like, oh, thank you. Let's talk about that. Or let's, or wow, your pronunciation, or they start helping me with corrections. So I love being open and honest about these missions because it can be exciting. We can draw people into our passion. I felt like my biggest takeaway was the Minnesota slogan. It's all about the layers and the fact that's like, my husband doesn't like turtlenecks, but I like turtlenecks. So I'm not going to, you know, insist that he wears turtlenecks, same with flashcards or not flashcards. And especially that itchy sweater syndrome where people bought this resource and 500 people say this is the best resource to learn a language. And so you insist that you have to do this. And then you stop because the sweater is causing you to break out in hives, like the particular book or resource that you paid $500 for is causing you to break out in hives and it doesn't work. In the challenge, and as I see other language learners that are successful, flexibility is key. And so that's how it works with layers, right? You go outside, you're all bundled up, you go into a heated room, you start taking off some layers. You don't go, no, I paid $500 for this coat. I'm going to wear this coat. And then you're sweating inside. It's the same with language language learning. We need to be humble and it's going to automatically make you humble. And we also need to be flexible. We truly hope you're enjoying this podcast. 
If you are, you can let us know by leaving a review and telling us what's working for you at languagehacking.com forward slash review. We love hearing from you and your reviews tell the podcast fairies to offer our show to more listeners. Thanks so much and see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Katie Pascoe, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and happy language learning.